Hello and welcome to the third episode of Sanartham, a one-of-its-kind academic podcast series in the University of Delhi, launched by the Department of Economics, Hindu College. To all the young economists, strategic leaders and thinkers who are listening to us today, through this podcast, you learn some of the most valuable insights into the biggest crisis of the Indian economy, the COVID-19 pandemic and the recovery that lies ahead. I am your host Yaksh Handa and today we have with us Dr. Arun Kumar from the Institute of Social Sciences, Vasant Kunj, New Delhi and the author of the book, Indian Economy's Greatest Crisis. Sir is going to talk about the multiple challenges that the pandemic posed to an already downgrading Indian economy, give a critique of the steps taken by the government and suggest possible alternatives. We look forward to this discussion with you, sir. Over to you. So thanks a lot for this introduction. You know, I am uh, going to present the book, its content, and you know, it's based a bit on my EPW article of September 26, uh, 2020. And the point I'm making is that the crisis facing the Indian economy and society is the greatest uh, that we have seen since independence uh, because the economy collapsed. And that has social and political implications as well, which will be long lasting. Now, what is different in the book, you know, there's a whole range of things that I've tried to present in a very holistic manner. So the origin of the virus and the bioengineering, which could have been a cause of it, whether that's the case, the lockdown that was there because of the, you know, virulence of the coronavirus, and what are the imperatives of a successful lockdown, you know. Then, you know, something that Andrew Cuomo, the uh, New York governor, kept saying, you know, for success, uh, you require transparency and people's voluntary participation. And without that, you know, the lockdown would not be successful. Now, I also discuss why the lockdown has hit the economy particularly hard, not just in India, but globally. We had pandemics earlier also, but lockdown has come now. And why lockdown is particularly hurtful to the economy is because of the extreme specialization that has taken place in the last 50, 60 years. You know, it's a global specialization with, you know, uh, small, small things produced and then combined together. Uh, so therefore, self-sufficiency is not there. Not even big economies like the US and Europe and China are self-sufficient in any sense, uh, much less India and the other smaller economies. Then I also discuss why the situation became worse than a war or global financial crisis, because in a sense, I argue that in a war, demand does not decline. Whereas, you know, now demand has declined and because supply chains have broken, supply is also frozen. Now, in a war, that doesn't happen, you know. So that's why we have a situation where I argue that the situation is worse than a war or worse than global financial crisis, because in the global financial crisis also, there was no supply crunch, only a demand shortfall. But this is very different. Combination of demand decline and supply uh, freezing, uh, we've got massive unemployment, compression of profits because businesses are not working, and a lot of people lost employment, so therefore wages came down. You know, even those who were employed, even their uh, incomes got curtailed because employers paid them less. And as a result of lesser income, consumption came down. And all this together led to a demand shortfall in the economy apart from the supply freezing that I had mentioned to you earlier. Now, in India, what we have done is we did not do lockdown immediately as soon as it was declared a pandemic. 
that's also the mistake made by uk that is also the mistake that is made by the usa but what happened was we had to relax the lockdown early uh, in other countries like spain italy uk usa only when the cases came down only then was the relaxation done but we had to begin to unlock you know even in june when the cases were still rising and the cases kept rising till september so our situation was not in control and we had to relax the lockdown and that actually led to a further problem because as people started moving success of the lockdown became less and less and the disease kept increasing so we uh, did not do we, a lockdown was necessary but we did not do the lockdown the way it should have been done see i mean like china where it all began they did a brutal lockdown and managed to control the disease very quickly within 3 months and in the next quarter they started having a positive rate of growth whereas you know in a large number of other economies where the lockdown was not done early and lockdown was not done the way it should have been done you know the economies are still suffering roughly 8 10 12 months after the disease had started spreading as a pandemic in march uh, uh, 2020 now look at the economic aspect of it you know our experts have been behind the curve whether it be the imf or the world bank or the various banks that you know come out with data or the ministry of finance or the rbi they kept, they kept saying in april that the economy is still going to grow you know even though it was clear in april that the economy had tanked apart from essentials production everything else had shut down and that's why you know demand for diesel electricity had come down pollution levels had come down you could see you know the kanchenjunga peak from you know 100 kilometers away in siliguri you could see the himalayas from jalandhar you know uh, so the pollution levels came down because consumption uh, had declined and production had declined so you know experts were behind the curve you know they they did not see that in april may itself the economy had declined by 75% and that it would take time to recover but they were still hoping that the economy would grow and grow even if by small up margins it would still grow the ministry of finance also kept saying economy would grow so only much later that they actually admitted that the economy is actually going down this is the same that happened during the global financial crisis of 2007-8 until the lehma moment you know in september 2008 until then the imf was saying that the world economy is going to grow whereas everybody was very clear that the economy had already uh, declined into recession so the imf came out with its figures uh, that the economy is going to decline the world economy was not doing well uh, much later than what the experts had predicted so you know the 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 experts in a sense have been behind the curve regarding this lockdown and its economic impact and that's where it's important and what i've done in the book is to say which are the sectors which could work in april may and then later on in july and then in september and which are the sectors which could not work because you see after all the what the pandemic meant was that we had to lock down given that we did not want people to spread it to each other so lockdown became necessary because it's a very virulent virus it's not that viruses have not been coming you know if you look at the last 20 years this is the seventh virus that has come we've had sars and mers and nipa and zika and you know uh, ebola and now this corona virus you know so it's the seventh virus in the last 20 years that has come uh, but here why did we have to do lockdown it is because this is very virulent it spreads very rapidly you know unlike the other viruses they did not spread so rapidly uh, that's why we had to curtail the movement of people so they don't spread it from one to the other we are lucky that it doesn't have as high a mortality as ebola had 
Ebola, roughly 40 to 50 percent of the people who contracted the disease uh, died. Now, if uh, a virus was as uh, virulent as this one and uh, had as high a mortality as Ebola, then within a few months, a few hundred million people could have died. So we are lucky that its uh, virulence is there, but the mortality is much less. So that's why we had to uh, have lockdowns so that people didn't spread it to each other. And when people uh, get locked down, then they can't move around. They can't go to factory. They can't go to offices. So factories are there. Machines are there. Offices are there. But work is not getting done except for the essentials. So some FMCG, agriculture, pharmaceuticals, uh, telecom, some of these sectors were allowed to work, but everything else was shut down. Now, the problem with the lockdown is that we have a very large unorganized sector. You know, our unorganized sector employs 94% of the workforce and produces 45% of the output. And these people in the unorganized sector have very low incomes, you know. So they live in very uncivil conditions, you know, especially in the urban areas. Here, you may have 10 people to a room, you know, five people to a room. And if you expect them to lock down, how can 10 people stay in a 10 by 10 room 24 seven? Uh, in fact, in Bombay, you have situation where I've heard that in the slums, people sleep in shifts. So they live there in eight hour shifts. So if there are 10 people to a small room, how will they survive? <clears throat> then these people also don't have clean drinking water, much less water for washing their hands regularly with soap, etc. They also don't have toilets, the common toilets where they go in the morning and therefore they have to mix. Also, as the Azim Premji report showed that, you know, 75% of them said that we don't have enough funds to even buy our supplies for one week. So unlike the middle class, upper middle class and lower middle class who went and bought up, you know, supplies for one month, two months, you know, they stocked up. Uh, in the US, you saw shelves which are completely empty because people had just bought up everything that was available. Now, in India, these poor people, therefore, could not take care of themselves. And therefore, the urban poor especially suffered a lot. Now, these urban poor are the ones who earn daily and spend uh, every day. So if the income stops, then they're not able to take care of themselves. And that's why large number of them started migrating. No other country did you see such mass migration from urban to rural areas that you saw in India. And therefore, what it appears is that the government did not take into account the plight of the unorganized sector. And that is something that the, in the last 70 years we've been doing, that our policymakers think of the organized sector and what policies will work for the organized sector, but they hardly take care of the unorganized sector. And that's why the unorganized sector suffered. And you saw people marching down in the heat uh, with the children in tow and the luggage on their heads, uh, willing to walk a thousand kilometers, 500 kilometers in the intense heat without water and so on and dependent on the charity of people on the way. So that's why the economy got, got hit very hard because if 94% of the workforce gets hit uh, and their income comes down, they fall below the poverty line and they cannot have a, uh, they, they do not put demand in the economy. So demand comes down very dramatically as a result of that. Now, another important thing that comes out of this uh, whole uh, pandemic is the importance of the public sector in a crisis. You know, it's the public sector that actually helped the government to deal with the crisis, whether it be the public hospitals, whether it be the public transportation like railways, etc. So uh, the private sector retreated, you know, uh, even private hospitals were not willing to come forward uh, to deal with the disease. And they had to be, you know, more or less coerced by the government to open up their ICUs, etc., to uh, take in patients, uh, etc. So the importance of the public sector uh, has come in very uh, critically.
Now, it is in this context that I point out in the book that the, the importance of uh, collectivity uh, is uh, again underlined for us. You know, the disease will keep on persisting and reappearing in different forms and we are seeing that mutations are taking place, whether it's the Brazilian variety or the South African variety or the UK variety, which are more virulent. And it appears that the South African variety has also transformed itself and it's not amenable to the AstraZeneca you know, vaccine also. So we know that the uh, mutations take place in viruses and they change form and they may not, the vaccine may not be effective. So, you know, like for instance, the influenza, the flu shots that people take in the US and other countries, you know, every year it has to be tweaked. The vaccine has to be tweaked because the virus keeps mutating. So in our country also, we have to worry about it. We are very lucky that since mid-September, the numbers are coming down. It's quite possible that that's because, you know, this virus has mutated to a more mild form in India, whereas, uh, you know, mutating to a more virulent form in South Africa, Brazil and UK. But we never know when our virus in India may also mutate to a more virulent form and may start spreading because vaccination has started, but vaccination will take time. We are 138 crore people, so we need 276 crore doses and that will take at least a year, year and a half to produce and to get 60% to uh, get the vaccination done, that will also take a year. So for this one year, we have to be careful about the spread of the disease and you know we have to try and keep control over it. So what all this points out is that we are a collectivity. The disease will keep spreading as long as even one person has it. You know, uh, So everybody has to get rid of the disease. You know, That's why we, we have to deal with the situation in a collective manner. The American president can get it. The British prime minister can get it. The Indian home minister can get it. So nobody is safe as long as the disease persists. So we have to deal with the collectivity. And that's what the WHO has been saying, that it's a collective matter. Unfortunately, many of the rich countries, they are cornering the vaccines and therefore many poorer countries are suffering. We are fortunate that we are one of the largest producers of vaccine. So we will probably get the supplies. But even in India, I think it might take at least two years before everybody gets vaccinated because we have such a large population and we don't have that many doses being produced uh, all the time. And uh, our Serum Institute, etc., also has to supply the doses to other poorer countries under the contract with WHO. So we'll have to be very careful and our public sector has to come in. Now, the question is, when the economy tanks, what should be done? And that's where I think globally, government intervention has come in. In the US, you recently had a $900 billion package. Now they're talking about another package, you know, to make it up to $1.9 trillion dollars. Earlier in April, May, you had a $3 trillion package. So the U.S. economy has uh, intervened massively. Uh, their you know, uh, support to the poor people, support to the unemployed, support for their housing, etc. All this has been taking place. Support to small businesses has come. So there the fiscal deficit has risen dramatically. You know? But unfortunately in India, what we have done is we have gone for a package which is 22 lakh crores of rupees. But most of it is supply side package. That means it's based on giving more loans and more credit to businesses. Uh, and so the supply side package may work over a medium term or long, but not immediately. Uh, whereas we needed support immediately for the poor people. Uh, and my estimate is that while unemployment, as uh, you know, mentioned by the CMIE data in April was 122 million, of which about 18 million were organized sector workers and 5 million were the you know, professionals, my estimate is 200 million people lost work. 
So I have made a distinction between employment and work. Employment may be there, but you know, income is not there, work is not there, and therefore GDP suffers. You know, so the government needed to enhance the demand. You know, by giving uh, income support to these large number of people who uh, became unemployed or who lost income. That's the only way you can immediately increase demand. So the supply side, which will work later, will not enhance the demand now, and therefore industry will continue to suffer. Now, even before the pandemic, the economy was in decline. You know, before the pandemic, for eight quarters, the rate of growth had dropped from eight percent to some like three and a half percent. You know. Uh, so the problems were already there as far as demand is concerned, and the lockdown and the pandemic reduced the demand even further. So the demand problem got aggravated, and that needed to be enhanced. But the uh, problem is that you know the resource base of the government also shrank because when businesses are closed, then as I said earlier, profits are less. When people's incomes are cut, like professionals etc. who pay taxes, they'll be paying less taxes. And when production is uh, less, then the GST collection also dropped very sharply in the month of April and May. So all told, the government also became short of resources. You know, the for tax resources, the non-tax resources, the non-tax uh, resources like the disinvestment of two 2.1 lakh crore that was slated. We've hardly done 20,000 crores worth of disinvestment. So resource of the government also came down, and therefore the deficit started rising. And the deficit has uh, reached uh, quite uh, high levels. So, how do you finance such a uh, uh, resource? Also, because a lot of people lost income, you had to give incomes to them. And my estimate is that even if you give uh, these uh, 800 million people who fell below the poverty line because of the loss of uh, work and loss of income, if you give them half the extreme poverty line of uh, you know World Bank. Then you still require about 15 lakh crores of uh, expenditure on these people, but what was given out of the budget was hardly three lakh crores. You know, way short of what was required. Uh, Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme was increased from 60,000 crores to 1.1 lakh crore, but you know the demand for the rural employment uh, increased dramatically, and my estimate is that you needed three to four lakh crores for that. Uh, that was not forthcoming, and that's why you have the situation where. the demand for uh, rural employment has been rising and large number of people are complaining that they're not getting the work <coughs> so <coughs> in a sense what had to finance what i call the survival package you know and the survival package would include you know the support to the people who lost employment support to the people who lost their incomes you know even if they were employed support to the micro businesses of which there are 6 crore uh, businesses they completely lost their working capital and therefore they were in trouble and then you know the health uh, expenditure you know basically we should have uh, ramped up our hospitals ramped up our testing uh, and and ramped up our contact tracing because these are the ways to prevent the disease from spreading uh, so if you add up all that we needed a lot of money and that's what i call the survival package but the government did not go for the survival package and that's why i keep arguing that our lockdown was not very successful it it had lot of lacunae there was also pressure from businesses because businesses were closed and therefore they were suffering big losses and some of them which tried to pay salary to their employees they even suffered bigger losses so the businesses were putting pressure that we have to try and you know uh, the, open up the economy now given all this problem how could government finance uh, the government had to go for monetization of the deficit floating of the covid bonds etc 
So, you know, the, the role of government becomes very critical in a situation where the economy tanks like it has done because the private markets cannot help. Investment uh, drops, uh, consumption drops, and therefore demand in the whole drops. And the only source of demand can be the government. Exports also dropped and imports also dropped very sharply. So our foreign exchange reserves increased, but that's no support for the economy because the overall demand is down. So the monetization of the deficit and floating of COVID bonds and raising funds from the excess funds that are there in the economy, that was very important. And finally, I argue that we are headed towards a new normal. We are not going to go back to where the economy was 2019. A new macroeconomic understanding is required. There's a lot of automation that's taking place and therefore jobs are not going to be restored the way they were. In education also, we've had large challenges of how to uh, cope with this uh, uh, teaching over the uh, net, you know, uh, because a lot of uh, students don't have that equipment. There's a digital divide. Uh, so we need to set up uh, libraries of equipment, you know, so that children of the poor people can go to those libraries and access, you know, the net. Uh, we also need to make Wi-Fi a public good, you know, so that people can access, you know, over the uh, net. But there's a big challenge because a lot of brick and mortar stores, their businesses come down because e-commerce has increased. So all these things are going on. People are going to work more from home. A lot of uh, property is going to get vacated by, you know, big offices that were created, you know, because people will uh, be doing more work from home. So there's going to be a downsizing in terms of, you know, the company's ownership of property, etc., and that will affect asset markets. Uh, we also see that some companies will do very well where the demand for essentials is there. So whether it be the telecom sector, whether it be the IT sector, whether it be the FMCG sector and like the, and, and those which are linked to that. So in a sense, you see some companies doing well and other companies which will not be doing well, especially the con where the contact has to be closed, like in the services sector, hotels, restaurants, uh, tra travel, tourism, etc. You know, the railways which you run 14,000 passenger trains a day was running hardly six, 700 trains per day. And even now I'm told it's only come up to about 1,000 trains per day. So it's ru running at barely 6, 7% of its capacity. So in other words, you know, a lot of uh, these uh, kind of things will change. The way work will be done, the way capacity is defined, all that will change. So th that's where I will end saying we have to think about the new normal and how you know, our development paradigm has led to the kind of problem that India has faced, where our unorganized sector has suffered grievously. Income uh, distribution has changed in favor of the, you know, select uh, people who've done, whose companies have done well in the economy. Those who are more automated have done better. Uh, so the inequalities are going to increase. Uh, nature of trade is going to change. And we have to worry about the environment, because why did the virus jump from uh, some uh, animal in the wet market to human beings? And that is because nature is getting disturbed, environment is getting disturbed, and therefore viruses are mutating faster, and they are mutating so that they can jump to human beings. And we have to think about the collectivity, we have to worry about the alienation, and uh, our people not having the capacity to deal with uh, a pandemic or a crisis-like situation. So we have to think about workers getting a wage, which is a living wage. Uh, despite there being a consensus among economists about predictions of a V-shaped recovery, your book cogently asserts that the economy will have a U-shaped or a rather K-shaped recovery instead. Could you explain the analysis that went behind arriving at this conclusion? I have argued that uh, what does a V-shape imply? It implies that as rapidly as the economy went down, it will go up. So it went down in April and May you know, very sharply, 
and as i said because only the essentials could be produced so my estimate is that only 25% of the economy could function and even agriculture which the government says was rising at 3.4% i've argued actually declined the reason is that half the production in agriculture is of horticulture pisciculture floriculture etc and those all suffered a decline a steep decline because fruits and vegetables could not come to the market so i've given data from azadpur mandi and ludhiana mandi that less than half of what used to be coming in the preceding year was coming and the rest was rotting in the fields so you had pictures on tv of shimla mirch being thrown on the roads and other things being thrown on the road because not even 1 rupee per kilo kilogram was available at the farm whereas in delhi the uh, thing was selling for 50 rupees a kilo similarly the milk demand came down dramatically because hotels restaurants which are bulk consumers uh, weddings did not take place where bulk consumption takes place sweet shops are closed where bulk consumption takes place and therefore even milk was in trouble chicken and eggs were in trouble because eggs are used for midday meal scheme about 1 crore eggs per day and what you found was that the schools had closed so the demand for eggs came down similarly demand for chicken came down because people are worried so therefore at least half the agriculture sector's output declined by a huge amount maybe 40 50 60% <laughs> therefore my estimate is that in, in the q1 where the government says the uh, agriculture grew by 3.4% my estimate is it de- declined by at least 10% you know and perhaps more similarly the unorganized sector stopped working so that's why the the rate of uh, decline in the q1 was 50% not the 23.9% as uh, the government says because you have to see what all could work what all could not work and then even now in january you know 2021 you see major components of the economy are still shut unorganized sector at least 20% of the people who lost work in april may have not got work back again as per azim premji study uh, similarly major components of the services sector have not revived the way they should as i said uh, like uh, travel trade tourism then the third problem that comes in is that the demand has shifted from the unorganized sector to the organized sector so for instance you know the local shops they having much less demand because people are going more for e-commerce amazon and various other platform but in the way we calculate our data we look at only the organized sector because only the organized sector data is available so we assume that the unorganized sector is going the same way as the organized sector is going which was true before but it's not true after the pandemic because after the pandemic the unorganized sector declined and even now if the organized sector is rising the unorganized sector is still declining because demand has shifted from the unorganized sector to the organized sector and therefore if you include all that the the rate of growth even now is minus 10% whereas government is saying that it is recovered to 0.1% which is patently not true because in their data unorganized sector is not counted and agriculture also it's assumed that the targets have been achieved whereas targets are not achieved lot of fruits and vegetables etc rotted in the fields you know so when you do all that reanalysis then you find that the rate of growth will rise very slowly and because consumption is down therefore capacity utilization which was already down to 70% before the pandemic went down further you know capacity utilization came down to zero in large number of industries in the month of april may june before the unlock started taking place and when that happens you don't invest because if capacity utilization is only 50% or 40% or 60% then why would you invest more because you'll have more unutilized capacity so losses will mount so economy is not like a rubber ball that's what i have argued because in rubber ball it bounces back but economy has real people investment consumption businesses which have closed down and they are not recovering as quickly as you know the ball would recover 
so do you think that this shift of people from the organized to the unorganized sector has somewhat of a role to play in the kind of disconnect that is now visible after the covid pandemic started between the real economy and the stock economy because it's pretty clear to us that the real economy is plummeting but the stock economy is showing upward trends so do you think this is also sort of a translation of this shift of expenditure and shift of consumption patterns so you are absolutely right you know there's a complete disconnect between the real economy and the stock market as i said in january 2021 we're still at least 10% below where we are in january 2020 So there's no reason why the stock market is much higher than where it was in January 2020. That, that clearly the two are not connected. But let me also add that the stock market is about future expectations, and it's also about you know asset you know preferences. So in the economy, what's happened is that the fixed deposit rates have come down, bank rates have come down sharply, real estate is not doing very well. So people don't have other avenues to invest, and that's why money is pouring into the stock market. Uh, secondly. foreign investors especially technology companies they are investing heavily in india because they wanted to capture the geo platform so you see where did the fdi come it came into the geo platform they say google and facebook etc put in lot of money into the reliance uh, because they wanted to capture the geo platform for their own utilization so reliance which was the most indebted company in the uh, in india suddenly became debt free you know by the time you know it floated its uh, equity issue etc so you know the tech companies are doing very well in the us market tech companies are doing very well in the indian market you know so these are the ones that are leading the way so what you will see is that there are two class of companies one which will do well because of technology uh, because of essential so fmcg will do well technology companies will do well it companies will do well telecom will do well but a whole range of other companies are not going to do well because demand there is still short so that's why people talk about k but i don't like to you know characterize it as k etc because i look at the economy as a whole and when you look at the economy as a whole you know the unorganized sector suffering unorganized sector is not reviving and that's because they have gone through their working capital and exhausted it so you take a ready patriwala a ready patriwala what does he uh, do he sells his vegetable or fruits during the day and next day uses that money to buy more and what is the balance is what he consumes but if he can't sell for a week then his working capital is gone because he's just consumed the whatever was there and therefore he can't revive the business so the unorganized sector of which there are 6 crore micro units okay they are the ones who are suffering they are the ones who are not able to revive and they offer 97.5% of the employment of the msme sector so if they don't revive then the msme sector doesn't revive unfortunately what we do is we lump the micro sector with the small and medium the problems of small and medium are different from that of the micro sector so as i've been pointing out for the last 5 years we must segregate the msme into micro separate and small and medium separate you know so when we look at employment it's a micro sector which is the big employer not the big companies there are 6000 big companies 6 lakh small and medium companies and 6 crore micro units you know the the, the big employers are the micro units not the large companies not the small and medium companies you know and therefore we have to protect the micro sector if we are to revive employment but they are the ones who are going to be most affected because demand is shifted from them to the small and medium and to the uh, large companies okay so employment is going to be a problem consumption is going to be a problem and that problem is going to persist until we give special attention to the micro units and revive them 
So how to revive, you know, the micro units? That's also something I've tried to discuss in the book and elsewhere earlier also. So as you previously also hinted on about the data collection being different for uh, private firms and for government firms, and about the kind of shift that has taken place recently of people from the unorganized sector to the organized sector, which further pushes them out of the ambit of data collection. This at a more extended level affects the policies that the government comes up with. How do you think this can pan out in a more detrimental way given the paradigm shift that has taken place due to the pandemic of people from organized to unorganized sector? So the government does not think of the unorganized sector at all. It doesn't collect data for the unorganized sector separately except once in five years when a survey is done. And the last survey was 2015 and after that, you know, there has been no survey because we've been in a crisis one after the other, first demonetization, then GST, then NBFC crisis, and now this. So no survey has been done in 2020 to tell what's happening to the unorganized sector. So what we do is we assume that the unorganized sector is growing at the same rate as the organized sector. And that's where, you know, the problem lies. The unorganized sector has been unambiguously declining since demonetization, GST, NBFC crisis, while the organized sector has been improving. And I've been quoting the uh, chairman of the pressure cooker industry, which has five organized sector units and 25 unorganized sector units. And there the chairman of the pressure cooker industry said, we are growing at 24% because the unorganized sector cannot deal with GST. So demand has shifted to us, you know. So the decline of the unorganized sector is, has led to the rise of the organized sector. But that means the unemployment will increase because the unorganized sector is the one <coughs> that does the most of the employment. Similarly, in the trade sector, Demand has shifted from the local brick and mortar uh, uh, stores to the e-commerce, okay, to the big, you know, shopping malls first and the e-commerce now. So if you take in your data, uh, the e-commerce the e and the, the, uh, uh, the malls, then you're getting the wrong picture. So government has admitted it. Now, if you look at the Press Information Bureau note on the quarterly data, they admit we didn't have data during the pandemic and therefore data will be revised, you know, uh, and they used alternate data. And that's why I've been arguing that the Q1 data of 2020 is not comparable with the Q1 data of 2019, because that was a different base. This is a different base, you know, and similarly, the Q1 is not comparable to Q2 because Q1, you did not get data. Like I mentioned in agriculture, you did not have data. You simply assume that the target has been fulfilled, you know, uh, so therefore Q1 and Q2 are not comparable this year. Q1 and Q2 are not comparable last year. And government is not correcting all this, you know. So what I have done in my book is I've used government data as well as the alternate sources of data, whether it be the Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme, All India Manufacturers Organization, Confederation of All India Traders Association. So wherever surveys were done, Azim Premji, CMIE, I've used all the data to try and build all this together and then come to the conclusion that because the unorganized sector is unambiguously hit very badly, the rate of growth for the economy will be at least minus 29% and not minus 7.7% as the uh, uh, government says. And they have not answered my query for the last five years. Where are you getting the data for the unorganized sector, which is independent of the organized sector? They refuse to answer. 
Even before the pandemic started to create a problem for the Indian economy, there was the problem of the ill-implemented GST and the problem of uh, demonetization and the digital divide that was created in India way before even, you know, we started to depend a lot on online learning. Going forward from, from here on, if we see some recovery, then there's another problem that we face, which is of the gig workers, which is of uh, the AI automation that the government is trying to bring in. As a conclusion that at least I can draw with my limited knowledge is that unemployment is something that is going to stay with us for a long time to come. It's something that the government isn't even focusing on. Do you think that this is something that's going to intensify the further uh, problem of uh, jobless growth that India is currently dealing with? The jobless growth has been going on for quite some time. And that's why even before, you know, the pandemic hit us last year itself, uh, our unemployment Official unemployment had reached a record of 45 years, you know. Uh, unofficially, the unemployment is much greater because, you see, the way we count employment, suppose I lose work, will I sit at home and not work? Then I'll starve, you know, because we don't have social security. So I have been arguing in my books that in India, unemployment remains at 3-4%, you know, doesn't increase because people will work, they'll do something, they'll push a tela push a rickshaw, push a cart, you know, do head load work. And we say that now they're employed, you know, whereas that is actually hugely uh, underemployment, you know, there's disguised unemployment, you know, and that is why the cause for poverty. That's why you see the living wage is not available. And this unorganized sector works as a reserve army of labor, which keeps the wages down of workers. And that's why even the organized sector, large number of people stay in slums, you know, where the living conditions are terrible, you know, and the GST, the problem is the GST is ill-conceived. You know, I've been writing for the, uh, since 1986 on uh, VAT and on GST and arguing why it's not uh, feasible to implement it properly in India and why it would damage the unorganized sector. So even though the unorganized sector is exempted from GST, but it damages the unorganized sector by shifting demand from the unorganized sector to the organized sector, which is what the pressure cooker industry chairman uh, mentioned, which is what you can see in terms of trade, and various other transportation, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the, the crisis that we face is of the kind of shift from the unorganized to organized sector, but the unorganized sector, which gives 94% of the employment, if you keep damaging the unorganized sector, and let me say digitization is further damaging the unorganized sector because the unorganized sector is not able to uh, take care of the digitization process. They're too small to really deal with banks and to digitize, et cetera. It will happen over a period of time, but you can't force it. The moment you try and force it, they will get further hit, you know. So what we need to do is we need to rechange our development paradigm. You know, the development paradigm is a, what I call marginalizing growth, where, you know, because of the market, you know, in the market, those who have the purchasing power, they will do well. Those who don't have the purchasing power, as Samuelson said, that markets work on dollar vote. If you have $1, you have one vote. I have $1 million, I have 1 million votes. So I determine the market outcome, you know. So markets are marginalizing. The more we marketize, like after 1991, the worse the problem gets, you know. So we need to rethink our development paradigm where we begin to give living wage to everybody, you know, so that they can take care of themselves. If we don't do that, then the problem will be there. If we begin to take care of the uh, uh, people at the lower level, then demand will rise and demand rises, the economy will grow better. But we have to worry about what kind of growth also, because we don't want to damage our environment. So there are a lot of models of degrowth where you improve welfare without necessarily increasing the GDP. You know, 
because the more the gdp the more the production the more the environment is da- gets damaged the more the diseases will take place the more the extreme events that are weather events that are taking place so we have to rethink our development paradigm you know what kind of growth what kind of equity in society this inequality that is there will not work and as i was saying if we want to deal with a global crisis then we need to you know have the population with us you know but if they are alienated they will not do what's required so andrew como said in new york city he said look if people don't obey me if people don't follow what i'm saying we can't have a lockdown you know so i have to be transparent i have to tell the right thing to everybody and they have to have faith in me otherwise the policy will not work so we know that crisis will keep coming every 2 3 4 5 6 years you know and we have to be prepared for the next one so that's why i'm saying it's a new normal we have to do things differently if we don't do things differently we are going to be in deeper trouble next time when another virus comes when another crisis of some kind comes which we don't know so we just had the crisis you know in the himalayas just 3 uh, days back you know that kind of crisis will keep on rising you know the kind of uh, cyclones that are coming the kind of you know the the extreme temperatures that are there in europe and america now which will also affect our production of agricultural crop we have to really this is a opportunity where we all have to begin to think anew what kind of society we want in which everybody goes together everybody is taken care of together this brings us to the close of a very very insightful discussion with you so thank you dr kumar for sharing your knowledge with us and helping our audience gain insight into the economics of the pandemic as we may widely call it that was all for the third episode of sanasam we will join you next week same day same time with another legendary economist and a new engaging theme this is your host yaksh handa signing off so hail econ hail hindu